Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, March 7th, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 1, and we are at page 12, the fourth paragraph. Today's readers are, on the 12 Steps, Lorraine W., on the 12 Traditions, Diane G., and reading the text are Allison L., Rachel W., and Janice M. The reference numbers for Monday, March 6th, are for the 7 a.m. meeting, 9686, and for the 10 a.m. meeting, 9688. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the 12 and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lorraine W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is Lorraine W. from Pennsylvania, a recovering compulsive overeater. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Lorraine. I will now ask Diane G. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Diane G. from New Hampshire. 
the 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, if he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, less problems of money, property, and prestige. Good morning. Not primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Diane. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book, chapter one, page 12, paragraph four. I will ask Allison L. to begin reading. Good morning, thank you. This is Allison L., recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. At long last, I saw I felt I believed. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. 
The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me, and he came. But soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. And so it had been ever since how blind I had been. Good morning. This is Allison Al, Recover Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. And what this uh, made me think of, it made me think back through my life. And um, I know there were definitely times when I had needed and wanted God, uh, mostly those times when I felt like I wasn't uh, able to do things on my own self-will. And then I would turn to him, um, you know, when somebody would die or a tragedy would happen or things were without, with uh, outside of my control, then, then I would turn to God and I would be humbly willing to have him and he usually would come and then um, once things started to turn around and um, and be good again then worldly clamors would come in and I would uh, go back to living on my self-will and I thought that was the way life was um, only when I was so extremely miserable and had tried every single thing that there was to get out of my compulsive overeating on my own only then was I really humble and willing enough to turn to him and seek him through this program and do every step in order in order to have the worldly clamors and um, all the things within myself that were blocking me from him, all the buildup of human emotion, the things that I didn't know how to deal with in life, then I was willing to have them removed. And then the, I saw, I felt, I believed in the scales of pride and prejudice were then removed from my eyes and a new world came into view. But for me, it didn't happen suddenly. Um, it took several several different sponsors working with me and going through the steps a couple different times before I would um, really, really let go of my self-will and give myself fully to this fellowship and to the steps and to this program and to um, allow God to really be the guiding force of my life. And that is when the new world came into view for me. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Allison. Who would like to share on these uh, second and third? Harlan G. This is Bella. Can I share? Rachel Delbell. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, just start over one second. Okay, I have Bella G., Harlan G., Kim G. Go ahead. Rachel W. Rachel W. I thought I heard Reba. Did I hear someone else? Okay, well, let's go with those four. Um, Bella G., Harlan G., Kim G., Rachel W. Go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. How blind I had been. Yes, I was blind. Before I came to the program, I had God in my life, but I had God according to my rules and my regulation. I had God in my life together with my ego. And, of course, they don't go together because I wanted God, but, you know, I wanted God to do everything exactly the way I want and exactly the time that I want. And 
you know, I was blind because I wanted God, but I did believe that I am exactly as God. And you know what I said? If you don't want to help me, God, I can help myself. And yes, I was blind, very blind. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And today I live, you know, with God because I want God. I threw away my ego. I threw away my control and my power. And I want God the way he wants to help me and the way he wants to be with me. But always, 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 God is with me. I am, you know, I humbly open the door for him. And God is always there for me. You know, yes, sometimes I have the pain and sometimes I feel the pain. But not because God is not with me and not because God doesn't love me. It's because this is the way I have to go through. And thank you, God, by doing the steps and by living the steps one day at a time, I am connected to God, you know, with love and acceptance. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you so much, Bella. Harlan, you're up. Thank you very much, and, and thank you to Team Tuesday for all the service that you guys do to make this meeting possible. Let's take a look at what we've been reading here and what we've been seeing here. This is 1934, November of 34, and Bill has been struggling upon seeing a sober Ebby Thatcher. He has been struggling with the fact that Ebby is sober and he is not. And he is presented with a God-based, quote-unquote, religious solution to his problem. But Bill has been wrestling with the idea of a God that is personal to him. Then he says, upon being, after having Abby suggest to him, why don't you choose your own conception of God? And he can no longer argue. He says, thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough, him is capitalized. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. Here's your step two, again. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. What new world came into view? The new world that this is a solution to his problem. So Bill Wilson has been given the problem by Silkworth, and he is given the solution of the Oxford Group Movement by Ebby Thatcher. The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. What was his experience in the cathedral? He read the dog roll on a tombstone of a guy named Thacker. Ebby's name is Thatcher. And the guy was not a soldier who was killed in battle. The guy drank himself to death, cold small beer. And he sees the grave of this guy, and it has a great impact on him because his father was an alcoholic. His grandfather was an alcoholic. He needed, and for a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me. In other words, he accepted this solution, dash new thought, and he came. And then what happens is as soon as Bill starts thinking about God, 
he realizes that he still has bills. He's still a drunk. He's still this. He's still that. Because no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. With all the entrapments of being human, and on the next page, page 13 tomorrow, don't miss, same bad time, same bad channel, we're going to see that in Towns Hospital, upon his third hospitalization, he is going to work the steps on page 13, both with God and with Ebby, and he's going, to, he's going to be given a book that's going to also change this book and the world we live in. And this is very, very meaty stuff. This is very important stuff. This is your beginning of step, this is your step two. And with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan. Okay, Kim G, you're up, followed by Rachel W. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. For a brief moment, I needed one of God. But soon, but soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. You know, I don't like to critique the big book, but I have to tell you, I think that was worse than italic letters. That is huge. That is huge. And I see it in two different ways played out um, today. One is at the beginning. You know, you hear a wonderful special edition maybe. Maybe you go away to a great retreat. You come home. You're flying high. You say, oh, my God, I've had a spiritual experience. No, you haven't. You haven't done any work yet. What you've had is a spiritual awareness. What you have is hope. But unless you do the rest of the work, it's going to be blotted out by those worldly clamors. And on the other side, I hear people who, which is my personal experience and my observation with working with a lot of people, is they get to step 12 and they feel some relief. Maybe they're feeling those nine-step promises are coming true, those 10-step promises are coming true. They're feeling good. They don't need God anymore. And people begin to rest on their laurels. They let up on their spiritual process and their spiritual practices. And that is blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those in themselves. And boom, they're in the food absolutely having no idea how it happened. You know, I, I often hear, um, you know, the, the, uh, the story in the back of the book about talking about life on life's terms. And I have to tell you, I, I heard a different um, uh, take on that, which has really hit me, because when I hear life on life terms now, what I hear is trying to live life by worldly clamors. What I hear is trying to live life according to what normal people do. You know, I think of in the Ignatius, again, on page 55, it tells us that God is deep down in every one of us, but it may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things. That, to me, is worldly clamor. That's living life on life's terms. And then we're told on page 54, we found we had been worshipers. What a state of mental goose place that used to bring me. Have we not variously worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, and ourselves? That's worldly clamors. I can't live life on life's terms. If I could have, I would have done that years ago. I have a compulsive overreader brain. I have the kind of brain that when I'm confronted by worldly clamors, I have two alternatives. I'm going to go to the food or I'm going to go to God or I'm going to go to a higher power in these steps. So therefore, I don't live life on life's terms anymore. I live life on God's terms. I live life on the terms of the big book directions. I live life on the terms of my higher power. Because the only way that I'm going to not have that mental twist come back is to make these spiritual practice an everyday part of my life. Because wanting and needing God is not enough. I need to take action. And with that, I pass. 
Thank you, Kim. Rachel W., you're up. Good morning, and thank you so much for your service, Katie. And good morning, everyone. I'm Rachel W., a recovered compulsive overeater calling from New York. And, you know, this sentence, it says, um, I was convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. I, I kind of disagree with this because I feel that even when I didn't want, even when I was at my most distant feeling from God, I believe that this power in the universe, this spirit of the universe was guiding things, was, was sort of like setting me up to even just to come here, to be with you. I think it's a miracle that all of us are here right now. Like the life events that, that, that happened, that got me into this room. I mean, each one of us has a story of how we got here. I, I know that for me, you know, it's about understanding that there is a power greater than me that can do things for me that I never could imagine. You know, and when I, when I look into my, when I every day, you know, look enlarge my step too, I have to ask myself, like, you know, do I believe that, the power that I believe in, you know, can, is really interested in this. Do I believe that, that, that it's got my back, you know, and, and if I don't, then why am I limiting God? You know, I, I recently had that, you know, the coveted birthday where I got my, uh, you know, the coveted AARP card, right? So, um, <laughs> and it's like, you know, here's your card quickly, go enjoy the world. There's no time left. Everything's free. We're going to make it free for you. So I don't have to pay for anything. But I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm the one with the AARP card, you know, like I'm the one with the greeting saying, okay, you know, time's almost up. Like, let's get going. Do I really know? Do I really know? You know, it's been long enough. Do I think I can just, you know, rest, you know, sit back kind of, and then reach out to you because it was my fellows in this program that really taught me, you know, how to have a closer connection to God. It wasn't me sitting on a hilltop. It was me listening to this meeting. You know, it was me asking you, how do you do this? You know, is God like, this is food. You know, this is my meals. What, what does this have to do with God? You know, and, and why, you know, I, all I'm doing is just eating and killing myself. Like, do you really think God can? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. <laughs> that, that the, the, the purpose here is not, you know, not, not to just become spiritual even. It's to really transform and change, starting with my actions. You know, starting, it doesn't, my beliefs don't have to be there yet. But can I, just, can I just, for today, lean into this step two, my higher power being my sponsor, my higher power being this meeting, my higher power being this book. You know, there are, there are people, you know, you know, God is one thing. You know, I do believe there's a power out there that wants something for me, and I do have a purpose. But, but my, it's my fellowship that really brings me into the, you know, the usefulness of this, of this process, really getting into how I could be transformed from someone, you know, sitting you know, on a tight budget, buying bulk Costco cookies and sitting in a parking lot and eating them, you know, one package for me, one package for my family, very generously, um, you know, and just thinking it's all about me. And, and, and to someone today, you know, thank God, living this recovered life, which is miraculous. And um, I'm just so grateful for it. So thank you so much for allowing me to share. Thank you, Rachel. Now, who else would like to share on? Larry. Uh, we're on the bottom of page 12, and we're focusing our comments on thus was I convinced through uh, the top of page 13 how blind I had been. Okay, Larry, I got you. Nessa R. Janice M. Melissa C. Janice M. Roxanne T. Reva P. Okay, let me just say who I have. I have Larry K. Janice M. Nessa R. Melissa C. Roxanne 
P? T. T is in Tom? Yes. Okay. Uh, Roxanne T and Reva P. Anyone else? Okay. Well, Larry, you can go ahead. Okay. Thanks, Katie, for your service. Appreciate it. Larry K., Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, you know, step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That takes some trust. Uh, trust, by the way, that I didn't have. Um, you know, because it never, it came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Um, well, it didn't happen. It didn't happen on my terms uh, in the time frame that I wanted it to happen. So what am I, you know, it's going to take some trust here. But, you know, genuine trust, is not a goal so much as is a byproduct, as a byproduct of, of this core value, the ability to create value and meaning in my life. And so what it, I think in looking at it with these steps, what these action steps do is we focus first on, on, on compassion, compassion for self, but then certainly for compassion on compassion for others. And what happened to me I don't know what your what happened to you, but I know what happened to me is I found that that this trust snuck up on me. It snuck up on me in its own good time as I was taking the actions. And frankly, I didn't necessarily expect that it would, but that's what happened. Um, and then I, I came to believe over time. I came to believe that the God of my understanding could restore me to sanity, and and that, and that God did. And 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 the, that trust is. Um, is, is etched in my brain. I, I know that God uh, can change. If God can change someone like me and restore me, reset me, uh, you know, control out the leak, reset me to a, to a state of sanity, if it could happen for me, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure that it could happen for you. So um, the trust, I think, with this, with this uh, step is not something I thought that I complicated the heck out of step two and thinking that I really, really, really had to have this uh, firmly fixed in place, you know, and, and, and no, it was going to happen through these steps done in sequence. And I didn't have to have it all figured out. It would sneak up on me as it did. And then, you know, and then once that trust is firmly in place, then, of course, I can't have compassion for others. I can be of maximum service to God and to those about me. So I would say, you know, when, with this step, let's not make too big of a deal out of it. Let's move on. Let's just be open to the possibility that this could happen. And then we move on step by step in sequence. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Larry. Okay, Janice M., you're up, followed by Nessa R. Well, thank you, Katie F. This is Janice M., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. I love this sentence. <laughs> it, Thus was I convinced that God is concerned. Well, I like the word. There's a lot of eyes. Well, there's a few eyes in that paragraph because it was, it had to be me that was convinced. Ebby couldn't convince me. My sponsor can't convince me. No doctors can convince me. I have to be convinced once I, this follows, step two, follows step one. Um, I was convinced 
at the time that I said, you know what? I cannot do this anymore. I don't know what to do. I can remember it clearly. I don't know where to go. I don't, I don't know what else. So um, thus was I convinced because I was powerless, you know, uh, because we, can't, we don't get to step two unless I'm powerless because you don't really need step two unless I become powerless. Knowledge didn't work. Willpower didn't work. Meetings didn't work. You know, a special sponsor didn't work. I had to be convinced. I had to become honest with myself. I had to become open-minded about this process. And, of course, I had to be willing because if I'm not convinced, I'm going to have the same ideas that I had before, that I'm going to still be able to do this thing. And scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. Well, what is pride until I let go of my pride, until I become powerless and know that I cannot do this anymore? That's what pride is. And prejudice, my old ideas, did not work. Believe you me, and I had a lot of old ideas. Nothing worked, not even my research. So a new world came into view. Of course, when those scales are removed from your eyes and you're open-minded, you can see better. <laughs> you know, the pride is not there anymore. I can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe he can. Maybe somebody can. I know the food can't. So I'm going to make choices here. Am I going to continue? Because I can do that if I want to. I'm free. Nobody's making me do it. I can choose to go back into disease and still try to find out an answer, a solution, or, or I can choose a power that perhaps, you know, will help me. And this is the process that we're going to come to. When he says humbly, that's what he needs. He let go of his pride. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Okay, Nessa R., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. It's Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. When we want him enough, so the question pops into my head, enough for what? Um, and the answer in my case is enough to let go of my own agenda and accept his agenda, enough to let go of my old idea that I know what's best for me and I know what's best for everybody else, to let go of the um, conception that uh, pain and discomfort is bad and pleasure is good because, you know, let's face it, the reason why I ate was to avoid pain and discomfort, but pain and discomfort isn't always bad. You know, if it's, I think about the pain of uh, child labor, for example, um, it is not bad. It's actually good. It's a beautiful outcome at the end. The, the pain and discomfort of uh, of getting vaccinated. It's also it's also good. And then I I think about the other side, the pleasure. You know, like you know, cheesecake and chocolate might be good for some people, but not for a compulsive overeater. Not for me. So pleasure isn't always good. And you know, along with that, I would say that, you know, abstinence prior to recovery is painful and uncomfortable. And going through these steps can also be painful and uncomfortable. You know, but, but, it, but they're good. They're inherently good because they lead me to recovery. They lead me to a 
to a much better life than I could have had if I had held on to my idea that I know best was best for me and I know best was best for everybody else around me, uh, which only got me even more pain and suffering and got my, the people around me more pain and suffering. So go figure. I don't know everything. So when I want him enough to admit, I don't know. I don't know. What I have been doing has not been working for me. So now I'm willing to do things a different way. And what is different? What different way? God's way. But before I can do things God's way, how can I know what's God's way when I'm so blocked from him by the food, by the worldly clamors, by my selfishness and self-centeredness? I gotta go through this process, and this is the only thing that has worked for me after decades and decades of trying to do it myself in many different ways. You know, it was, you know, putting down the food, becoming entirely abstinence, and then doing the work. That's how I demonstrate that I want him enough. When I do the work that is required of me in order to unblock myself from him so that I can recognize what is his agenda. And of course, I don't do that perfectly. I don't do it every day. But when I do it, oh, my life is so much better. And by, by consequence, the lives um, of all those around me are so much, it's so much better too. Um, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Nessa R. Melissa C., you're up, followed by Roxanne T. Hi. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, thinking about um, the pride and prejudice and, um, you know, what what was my pride and what was I prejudiced against? Um, and, you know, um, I had a grudge list against God, and, you know, my prejudice, my belief was um, God didn't care for me because he didn't give me what I wanted, and, you know, and that's um, childlike. That's like, you know, when my kids don't get what what they want, you know, and I didn't let them stay up late, you don't love me, you know, and, and that's kind of how I was going around, Um the world and, you know, thinking that if God cared about me, then I would get to um, supersede the human experience of pain and loss and death. And, you know, the reality is nobody gets out alive. Nobody gets out of this life without experiencing loss and pain. And, you know, and my pride was um, clinging to this grudge list, you know, like, um, I'm not going to give God a chance because he's hurt me, you know, and, and yet, um, what a lie. I have no pride. You know, when you're, when you're eating the way that I was eating, when you, when I was doing to myself, what I was doing, when I was treating my family, the way that I was treating them, there was no pride left. That, that was just an illusion. And, you know, and so at this point, step two is, is, really, when I think about it, um, is do you have any ability to form a relationship with something that you might not yet trust? And that's really how I felt. I did not really trust it, but I trusted seeing other recovered people. You know, I, I could hear it, I could see it, and I wanted that. And just like Bill could see Evie in front of him, and he wanted that. Um, 
And now it's enough, you know. And so how do we form a trusting relationship with something that um, we don't yet trust? It, it has to be a leap of faith. It has to be, um, you know, an attempt. And the incredible thing is um, we don't build relationships with people or with the higher power um, when things are easy. You know, that's like you don't learn about um, the true nature of a friendship when everything is going great. It's what is when it's rough, when it's hard. And, you know, and so that's the flicker of hope for me that, I could lean into this thing that I didn't yet believe in, and piece by piece, step by step, it, it has restored me. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, now we have Roxanne T. followed by Reva P. Hi, my name is Roxanne T. in New York. Can you hear me, Katie? I can. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service. Uh, this line here, you know, that's was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. Um, I was told enough is enough to get me through the 12 steps. Just get through those 12 steps, you know. That's the enough that I need. And um, I, was, uh, I wasn't convinced, um, you know, about not just God uh, caring about me enough, but even people in my life, you know. Uh, working on the fourth step helped me to turn that around and see that they were concerned with me all along, you know, a lot of the people that, um, you know, I resented. And that, you know, I believe that God is concerned with me all along. You know, God was concerned with Bill when he had him see that dog roll on the tombstone. Um, You know, we just let things get in the way, Uh, worldly clamors, you know, all kinds of blocks, you know, my resentment, my fears, all that stuff just gets in the way. So I really um, believe that, you know, God's been there all along. I, I came from God. I'm going to return to God. And I think, you know, the whole time, you know, God is, is concerned with me. It's just that I'm not always convinced of that because of my stinking thinking. You know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm cut off from reality. The reality is God is concerned. Uh, my problem is I'm not convinced of that because I'm blocked. You know, I'm a sick person and trying, you know, trying to get well through this program. And, um, you know, I got to watch out for all those worldly clamors. I'm working on my fourth step. And, you know, sometimes I put a lot of those worldly clamors, you know, before the time I need to, you know, to do that. It's like, all right, you go home at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, I don't have to cook dinner. Send them out for pizza and work on the fourth step, you know. That'll work. That'll work. That's enough, you know. That's really the enough I need, you know, to get me. You know, you know, to do this fourth step and to, um, you know, keep going with the steps so that I can have a, a spiritual experience, a vital spiritual experience that not only will, you know, give me the wonderful uh, gift of removing this horrible obsession of compulsive overeating, but to really live in God's world and have a new world come into view, to really see that, you know, we're all there. Uh, you know, nobody's better than anybody else, and uh, we're there to help each other. And uh, it's a beautiful program. It's a real program of love. And uh, thanks for your service, Katie. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day, and I pass. Thank you so much. Okay, Reva P., you're up. 
Good morning. It's Lisa P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. These paragraphs remind me what I heard uh, from a very wise, good friend of mine in program that for me simply stated, step one is I'm doomed. And then step two is maybe not, maybe not. Maybe when I see examples of recovered people who are um, in slim bodies and are doing so happily and are living life and enjoying it, maybe I can get that too. Um, And that's all it is. Um, this need to do something differently and to have a power that directs my life um, because I've made a mess. Um, And the thing that struck me a lot this morning is the worldly clamors mostly within myself. And, you know, the fact that Bill is having one of these white light amazing experiences and he'll have another one later um, more impactful in the hospital. You know, I sort of expected that I would acknowledge this need for a higher power I would have some kind of spiritual awareness, and then then I'd be good to go. Um, And I would be struck abstinent and be peaceful, and my life would be great, like I'd be in nirvana. But it's not like that. Step two is just this acknowledgement. Um, And then I'm blocked. Like I've got all these blocks, and after all these years, it's still a daily thing. Like I can get blocked in an instant. Um, get me something that scares me, that threatens me, and poof, I'm into resentment and fear. So this white light or acknowledgement is so not enough. If I want to access power, if I want to really know what the right thought, the right action is, I have to clear all the gook in the middle by doing the steps four through nine every day. Um, And then I can see then I see a new way of being, of thinking, um, of doing, because it's like this disease of perception. I just don't see it um, beforehand. And the other thing that this reminded me, this business of willingness to believe in a power, that's not something I can give somebody else. I can't give them a relationship with that power. That's a personal thing. And it's not my job to convince anybody of it. It's something that you know each person has to do for themselves. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Okay, we will now open it up for more people to comment on this section. We're on page 12, going over to page 13. Who would like to share? Hi, this is Beth. Uh, Kathy K. Leah M. Marzi. Okay. My pen just died. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Let me just uh, have Beth, Leah M, and Laura Z. And there was one more. Kathy K. And Kathy K. And there was a familiar voice. Okay, if we could go with those um, four for now, and then we'll open it up again. But no, actually, we'll be out of time by then. So thank you. Go ahead, please, Beth. Hi, this is Beth, a recovered compulsive reader. I'm now living in Nicaragua. And um, the part that stuck out for me, too, is um, I used to, you know, God is, uh, later on it says God is, is, is everything um, in the big book, or he's nothing. And, and I have to make that choice because for so long I treated God as like a, a pinch hitter. 
You know, I called on him in, in times of emergencies and then often got, you know, sometimes I got the result I wanted and, and sometimes I didn't. And, um, but I always was relying on myself too. It's like, ah, I can't do this now. I'll call on God. And, um, the, my program has evolved over, over the, the years that I've been in recovery. And, um, now am I in constant contact with, with God? No. Um, is, is that my goal? Absolutely. Am I getting closer? Every day I get a little closer to that goal. Um, and I just, I find that when I do maintain that contact, um, my life just works a heck of a lot better. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you so much. Okay, let's have Moazi, followed by Leah M. Good morning, Moazi in Virginia, recovered compulsive overeater. Can you hear me, Katie? I can hear you perfectly. Great, thank you. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me, and he came. I had always believed in God. Wasn't necessarily sure that he was there for me. Um, Pretty much was convinced he was there for everybody else. But there were definitely times in my life before and since program where I was at either a very, very low place or a very, very confused, ambiguous place. And I was doing my best to get through. And either I had prayed and he did for me what I couldn't, or I hadn't prayed and he did for me what I couldn't. The sum of it tells me that he's always, always with me. And um, my favorite line is on page 55. And that deep down within every man, woman, and child is the idea of God. And that has come to be very important to me. But back here on step two, all I'm being asked is to make um, a decision to have a belief. I'm not being asked to have a relationship at this point. All I'm being asked is to say, Okay, step one told me I'm powerless. I believe this at my core. Step two is only saying if step one is true, then there has to be something else at work in my life in this world that has more power than Mora. That's step two for me. Just came to believe in a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. Restoring me to sanity was a big bill. I didn't know if that was ever going to be possible. But step two told me it wasn't my job. My job is to do the footwork and to work these steps to the best of my ability. Step two says I came to believe, and I have come to believe. And in working the steps, I have created a relationship. He and I have created a relationship. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Maura. Okay, we'll have Leah M. followed by Kathy K. Thanks so much. Um, Beautiful passages that we're studying today. Um, You know, thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. 
I mean, I don't know about your disease, but I can tell you that my disease, bit, uh, you know, beat me to a pulp. <laughs> um, I was exhausted, worn out. Um, my life had deteriorated, um, you know, below whatever I thought, you know, my standards were going to be. I couldn't even recognize myself, you know, not only physically, but just the way I was living. Um, you know, our text teaches us, faced with alcoholic destruction, we become as open-minded as the dying can be. And that's exactly where I was. I didn't have spiritual knowledge. I was spiritually undeveloped, immature. Um, you know, <laughs> my whole life had been about the next bite. I mean, and I was young. I was young. I was 23 years old at this point, um, and I was exhausted. And I had no choice in my opinion, it was either take my life or give up my life for something I did not comprehend. So, yes, I was convinced. Um, the 12 steps removed those blockages that hid this power that uh, lived within inside of me and all around me. It was through the process of the 12 steps, beginning with the inventory process of steps four through nine, where I able, was able to examine my attitudes, my ideas, my emotions, what drove me, what were those core belief systems, what were my faulty dependencies, the people, the places, the things, the circumstances, the situations that I kept chasing for a sense of well-being, for somehow to... Um, achieve my vision, Leah's vision. It was through the program and working with people in whom the problem had been solved that they taught me that external conditions were never going to be a remedy for an internal condition called a spiritual malady, a spiritual illness. Um, the 12 steps put me in alignment with a power greater than myself, and a different footing, new soil that gave me my root stability. Um, how blind I had been, a new vision. The program of recovery gave me and continues to give me. That's the work. That is the work. Step 10, continuing to examine those clamors that cloud got out. Step 11, continuing to strengthen uh, that relationship with God, you know, everybody uh, is dependent on a GPS system these days. I like to look at it as a God positioning system. Always recalculate, recalculate, you know, an interaction with a husband, recalculate, interaction with kids, recalculate with school, recalculate so that my vision, I can look through the prism of God and these 12 steps rather than Leah's vision. Thank you very much. I pass. Thank you so much, Leah. Okay, Kathy Kay, you're up. Uh, good morning. Thank you for your service, Katie. This is Kathy Kay, recovered from Boston. Oh, my, the sharing has really moved me today. Um, the idea of worldly clamors, uh, when I think about my whole life um, and not coming to big book study until um, – about 10 years ago, um, I lived my whole life following and responding to worldly clamors um, and uh, did not have a clue that there was another way to live. And it was not until I came to these rooms and began to study this book 
that I began to see the nature of my spiritual malady. Um, I didn't know what a spiritual malady was until I started to do the work, until I read Bill's story, and especially when I started doing the inventory work of Step 4. Um, what, what's um, striking to me today is although I've done lots of work and I have been transformed, I still have days where um, I become overwhelmed by worldly clamors, sometimes even very simple ones like the breakdown of my computer, which happened yesterday, and the next thing I know, I'm into resentment and fear and forgetting um, that this is just an external event. This is not um, my well-being and uh, my life, which is now dependent on uh, following the dictates of my higher power. So I just appreciate so much that what the steps have given me are the tools that I need every single day to remind myself that God is in charge, and when I turn to him, he will show me my next right action. And as a consequence, um, fear is not something I need to entertain for very long. All I need to do is identify it, surrender it, and ask for the next right action. And it does sound simple when I say it like that. Uh, it's not always simple, but it's doable, especially with the help of this wonderful recovering fellowship. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. And I'll just take these last two minutes. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And, um, you know, I came into OA when I was uh, first came in when I was 14 and thought it sounded ridiculous, so I left. And I came back when I was 21 and uh, didn't get abstinent and stay abstinent until I was 27. So in those years, um, uh, worldly clamors are what constantly got in my way. I would say I believe I would have, you know, as, as was mentioned earlier, I would have these spiritual you know, aha moments and spiritual um, insights and, and think this is it. This is going to be the thing that's going to completely change me. Um, and my thought was that, you know, as long as everything went my way, then I would be able to stay abstinent. And, you know, I just had it all backwards. I thought that um, life should get easy, that I shouldn't be confused. I shouldn't have problems. I shouldn't be worried. And, you know, don't ask me out to lunch because I'm not going to be able to stay absent if you ask me out to lunch. So basically it got to where just anything became a worldly clamor for me and I picked up the food instead of working this program. And, you know, now, um, decades later, you know, as someone else shared this morning, you know, things do happen where all of a sudden I'm, you know, the whirling dervish and, and trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, what am I, you know, well, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And, you know, feel, feel myself like, feel myself, you know, falling down the steps and I'm never going to be able to get back up. And, you know, five minutes later, I'm back in alignment with God because I have all my own experience to know that God is so much bigger than whatever circumstances in my life. 
And, you know, this is what um, Bill is seeing, that, you know, his uh, scales of pride and prejudice had to be removed. And thank you, God, they've been removed from me. And with that, I'll pass. Um, thank you to everyone who shared this morning. Um, the share ID for today, Tuesday, March 7th, 7 a.m., is 9691. That's 9691. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Rachel W. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Katie. This is Rachel W. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.